Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Wednesday, February 17th. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. A major storm crippling the state of Texas, millions still without power in the Lone Star State with even more severe weather on the way. President Joe Biden speaking to the nation at a town hall about his pandemic response, discussing the massive stimulus push and the administration's efforts to vaccinate teachers. And with the coronavirus still raging in the U.S., FEMA opening mass vaccination sites in California. The White House saying it can increase the vaccine supply to more than 13 million per week. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. We begin with the deadly winter storm that's been blasting much of the country. Snow, record-breaking colds, even tornadoes wreaking havoc as millions are left without power. Many not familiar with such conditions and simply do not know what to do. Oklahoma and Texas among the hardest hit states. Yet another blast of Arctic air is freezing the nation. In Tulsa, Oklahoma, negative 14 degrees, the coldest temperature in more than a century, leading to waterline ruptures in some places, causing streets to flood and freeze over. And check this out. Bursting pipes interrupted lunch at this restaurant. The nightmare is still not over as another winter storm is on its way. Amarillo, Texas, getting pummeled with snow. Overnight, cars and trucks sliding off the road. Part of the Lone Star State hitting record lows. Temperatures like this not seen in a century. People cranking up the heat, which is taxing the state's electrical systems, leading to cascading power outages and rolling blackouts. As of Tuesday evening, more than 3 million homes and businesses had no power. This is tragic. We hadn't had power since 5 a.m. yesterday. I think what uh, has happened here is uh, a response that kept the grid from collapsing, uh, that kept us from going into a blackout, blackout condition. And certainly, uh, we need to look at what has happened here once we get everybody back online. Houston's mayor was at his home speaking to a local TV station when all of a sudden the lights went out. People have made some life and death choices because they were trying to keep themselves warm. Oh no, we just lost power. Now outrages growing after images like these surfaced. Skyscrapers lit up in Houston. Meanwhile, surrounding neighborhoods left in the dark. What is going on right now is completely unacceptable. Across the state, there are also long lines for food. Shoppers at this grocery store in Dallas using their cell phone flashlight to see. Another problem, natural gas, wind and nuclear facilities also being knocked offline. The operator of the state's unique power grid, the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, ERCOT, urged Texans who still have electricity to turn off lights, unplug appliances and turn down the thermostat. National Guard troops and thousands of state troopers have been checking in on families who are struggling to just stay warm. One Texas local official telling residents to fend for themselves during the power outages. 
Advocates are warning that Texas's poorest and most vulnerable residents are at risk of freezing to death. At least 10 deaths in Texas have been linked to this winter storm since Monday. Meanwhile, prominent GOP politicians wrongly blamed frozen wind turbines and other renewable energy sources for the failures of the Texas energy grid. However, 80 percent of the state relies on natural gas, coal and nuclear power and not renewable energy sources. And now for a closer look at conditions on the ground in Texas, let's go straight to Pedro Rojas, who's standing by in the state capital, Austin. Pedro, what are conditions like there at this time? Indeed, the situation in Texas is really terrible. This is just the image of the state capital as we speak in Austin, Texas. And the whole government, the state government, as well as the city government here in Austin, Texas, are coming to a standstill. None of the offices are open, and they may not be open until the end of this week due to the fact that the power is out, as well as the water service in many places, and traffic is treacherous. Let's just show you a little bit how the roads look around the state capital. You can see that there there's many eyes and the snow is still on the ground. Many drivers have been advised not to get on the roads due to the fact that Texas are basically not prepared to see this type of weather. And they don't have the same capacities that many states in the north have, meaning truck, uh, trucks capable of showering the snow and that sort of thing. That doesn't exist down here in the south. And due to the fact of what just happened here in the last couple of days and the ice and the snow, the state is still basically at a standstill. The governor has called as you said in your early report, for a review of the institution that managed the distribution of power. But while all of this is happening into politics, the residents are struggling. Many people are lying to grab food. A lot of residents are not able to even have heat in their homes. And even the state capital, as we can see, this the snow has taken over even the most important building of the state. And this is the image of many places. Even trees are collapsing due to the fact of the ice that has come down in this region. And this is the image you can see all across the state of Texas, even into East Texas and into Louisiana. The reality of this system that has taken over and has also collapsed not only the, the activity, the economic activity, but also the power service in this state. Back to you. Thank you, Pedro. Shocking images. And let's remember that all this is happening in the middle of a pandemic, so please be careful out there. And another breaking story we are following at this time. Controversial conservative talk show host Rush Limbaugh died today after a battle with lung cancer. He was 70. The right-wing broadcaster was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom on February 4th, one day after he announced his diagnosis. The Missouri native was the nation's second highest paid radio personality and a very supportive ally of former President Donald Trump. Biden administration announced Tuesday that it would extend the federal government's foreclosure moratorium along with mortgage forbearance through the end of June. The actions would block home foreclosures and offer delayed mortgage payments until July, as well as offer six months of additional mortgage forbearance for those who enroll on or before June 30th. Meanwhile, President Biden said last night that he expects all Americans will be able to get two doses of the COVID vaccine by the end of July. The president talking to Americans during a town hall on the first official trip of his presidency. Claudia Uceda has the latest details from Washington, D.C. Claudia, what did he say? 
Good afternoon, Andrea. That's right. In this CNN town hall, President Joe Biden was asked about a range of issues. He mostly talked about the pandemic and predicted that there will be enough vaccine doses for all Americans by the end of July. And that is about 600 million doses. Biden also said that he wants a COVID relief bill passed by March 14th and stressed that his American rescue plan will create about 7 million jobs this year. He also provided a rough timeline on when he expects life to go back to normal. Here is what he said. When is every American who wants it going to be able to get a vaccine? By the end of July of this year. We have, when we came into office, there was only a 50 million uh, doses that are available. We have now, by the end of July, we'll have over 600 million doses, enough to vaccinate every single American. The president also spoke about a topic very important to parents, and that is when the schools will be fully open and when kids could return five days a week. Let's listen. So when do you think that would be K through eight, at I least think we'll five be, days a week? I possible? think we'll be close to that at the end of the first hundred days. We'd have a significant percentage of them being able to be opened. My, my guess is they're going to probably be pushing to open all for all summer to continue like it's a different semester. Biden also talked about immigration. He was very clear he wants a pathway to citizenship for undocumented immigrants who live in the U.S. But he also stressed that he is willing to pass another immigration measures in the meantime. This week, Democrats are preparing to unveil their legislation in Washington. I am Claudio Seda. Now back to you. Thank you, Claudia, for that report from Washington, D.C. In other White House news, President Biden's pick to lead the Department of Health and Human Services will appear before a Senate committee next week. Javier Becerra currently serves as California's attorney general. His confirmation hearing before the Senate Health, Education, Labor and Pensions Committee will likely involve a barrage of questions about how he would help manage the government's response to this pandemic. If confirmed, Becerra will be the first Latino to lead the department. And in immigration news, a federal judge in California has blocked a Trump-era rule that tried to limit the number of Central Americans seeking asylum in the U.S. The rule, which took effect just a day before the inauguration, prohibited migrants who traveled through third countries from seeking asylum. It was part of the Trump administration's effort to tighten immigration along the U.S.-Mexico border. The judge said the regulation deprived migrants of essential procedural safeguards to avoid arbitrary denial of asylum. It's unlikely the current Justice Department will defend this Trump-era rule. The Biden administration has committed to reversing the hardline policies enacted under former President Donald Trump. In other major news we're following out of Washington today, the NAACP and Democratic Congressman Benny Thompson are suing former President Trump, alleging that he incited the Capitol riots on January 6th in violation of a Reconstruction-era law, commonly referred to as the Ku Klux Klan Act. The complaint comes after the former president was acquitted over the weekend by the Senate in his second impeachment trial, which was also focused on the events of January 6. The lawsuit also names Trump's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, and two white extremist groups, the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers. 
And speaking of Rudy Giuliani, he is no longer serving as former President Trump's personal attorney. The former mayor of New York City was outspoken in Trump's attempt to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. Senior Trump advisor Jason Miller says Giuliani is still, quote, an ally and a friend to Trump, but he isn't representing Trump in any pending legal cases. The former president is still facing numerous criminal investigations, civil state inquiries and defamation lawsuits. Officials in Georgia also say Trump is facing a pair of new investigations regarding calls he made to election officials there in an attempt to overturn election results. And former President Trump went after Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell on Tuesday. In a quite lengthy statement, Trump called the Kentucky Republican, quote, an unsmiling political hack. Trump also said if Republican senators are going to stay with McConnell, that they will not win again and that he would back primary rivals of McConnell's. The attack comes just days after McConnell voted to acquit Trump in his second impeachment trial, though after that vote, McConnell ripped Trump in a speech from the Senate floor. He suggested the former president could be subject to criminal investigations or prosecution. The two have been estranged in recent months after McConnell affirmed Joe Biden's presidential win. Meanwhile, a new Biden administration has proved a new hope for Puerto Rico. That's the sense one gets from the island's governor, Pedro Pierluisi. This optimism, even as Puerto Rico is still recovering from several natural disasters as well as political and economic crises. The governor recently spoke to Axios in an interview covering statehood and other timely issues. And joining us now to talk about that conversation is Axios co-founder Mike Allen. Welcome to You News, Mike. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Andre. Is this good? So let's go ahead and start with statehood. Just this past November, a slim majority of Puerto Ricans voted yes on a referendum for statehood. And in this recent interview, he sounded quite optimistic. Let's go ahead and first take a listen to this. What I anticipate is that there'll be uh, considerable support for um, a, a statehood bill. I believe you'll see bills being introduced in the House uh, at the latest by mid-March of this year. So what exactly are your thoughts about the governor's hope about the prospects of statehood? So do you think a statehood bill would be passable in this Congress with this new administration? I do think it's passable, and I think that it's very possible that it will come up. And that's why Axios on HBO was very excited to talk to uh, the governor, my colleague, Alexi McCammon. I traveled to San Juan for that conversation. And Andrea, there was one phrase that stuck out to me when what the governor said. And he said, we need a game changer. As your viewers know, Puerto Rico has had so many issues, from debt to Maria recovery to power and full support from the U.S. federal government would make such a massive difference. What was your takeaway or your sense of where statehood lies on the governor's list of priorities for Puerto Rico going forward? Very high on the governor's list. As you know, he campaigned uh, on it, and uh, Puerto Rico is a little bit split uh, on it. It, it isn't unanimous, but, but there definitely is a majority sentiment Board. But here's the fascinating thing is ever since January, when Democrats took control of the Senate and Democrats now have all party rule in D.C., something that's very rare. Democrats have the White House, uh, the House of Representatives and the Senate. Having all three, 
That gives statehood the best chance it's ever had in my lifetime. As long as I've been covering American politics, and as you can see from my hairline, I've been at it for a while, Puerto Rican statehood has been an issue, especially in Democratic primaries. But it was an issue that people didn't really think was going anywhere. Now it suddenly can go somewhere. And the governor said in his interview with Axios on HBO, he recognizes that statehood isn't a panacea for all of the issues on the island, but it could make a big difference. And so Congress isn't obligated to take it up, but the governor said that Congress is now morally obligated now that his fellow citizens have expressed their opinion so clearly. I really do think this issue has picked up momentum. Now, this interview with Governor Pierluisi also looked back at President Trump's treatment of the island. That went quite criticized. And I think it's fair to say the governor really won't miss um, former President Trump. So let's go ahead and take a listen to that clip. He, he came to Puerto Rico right after uh, Maria. And, and, and at some point he said something like, this is costing us too much. You know, you know hello. Let's have some sensitivity. I yeah. mean, people lost their lives. Yeah. Thousands lost their lives because of Maria. Now, as we have heard time and time again, plenty of people have blamed the former president, President Trump, for inadequately responding to Hurricane Maria. Yet Puerto Rico is still plagued by many of the same problems it has had for several years. Now, the governor makes a point to mention relationships in the new administration, like with DHS Secretary Mayorkas. Does his optimism about the new Biden administration seem well-placed when it comes to the island's future? It does, Andrea. As uh, you know, uh, the governor has uh, the reputation for being an optimistic, open politician, and that is in keeping with uh, the spirit of a new administration. Uh, President Biden has uh, talked often uh, about these uh, issues and is a supporter uh, now of statehood. So you have as open an ear as you've had in 62 years, which was the last time that America added a star when Hawaii became the 50th state back in 1959. Uh, this issue has the best chance it ever has. And something that my Axios colleague, Alexi McCammon, asked the governor is, what about D.C.? And he said, I'm all in favor of statehood for the District of Columbia for Washington. Uh, there's no uh, contest uh, there. Uh, we just want the star. I don't care what number it is. Uh, so uh, that's another example of the governor uh, building all the allies that he can in Washington and around the uh, United States. Seems like a very different relationship. Well, let's see where all this goes. Thank you so much for your time. Axios co-founder Mike Allen. Take care. increasing vaccine distribution to states yet again to ease difficulties, but extreme weather halting vaccination efforts in several states. This, as Dr. Anthony Fauci says, open season for the general population might be delayed from April to May due to manufacturing delays. Lorraine Caceres has the details. 
The fight against COVID-19 looking better each day. Cases worldwide falling by 16%. Here in the U.S., experts pleading with the public to keep the global trend moving in the right direction. One of the things we need to make sure we do is we don't get complacent when we see those numbers go down. Dr. Anthony Fauci saying that for states, vaccine rollout difficulties will smooth out as supply grows. The White House announcing Tuesday it's increasing the doses sent each week to states to 13.5 million doses and is also doubling the amount shipped to pharmacies to 2 million doses. This is a 57% increase from the amount states received when the president was inaugurated. So since then, obviously, we have announced a couple of increases over the course of time. The biggest challenge of the week has been the weather, completely halting distribution in many states. So we're continuing to monitor the weather and the shipments uh, for the rest of the week. But we expect a, we've seen a slowdown uh, in the shipments. In the meantime, kids around the country are heading back to school. Los Angeles County starting in-person classes Tuesday. This as concerns grow over multi-symptom inflammatory syndrome found in children after they've been exposed to COVID, causing inflammation in their heart, lungs, brain, and other vital organs. Hospitals across the country seeing an uptick in these cases. LA County alone seeing a more than 35% increase in MISC cases in the last two two weeks since May. More than 2,000 cases have been reported and 30 children have died. And so far, about 3 million kids have been di diagnosed with COVID-19. And doctors are stressing that multi-symptom syndrome, or MISC, is very, very rare in these children. Meanwhile, Dr. Anthony Fauci is saying that open season for vaccines, where the major population will have access to vaccine, is now being pushed from April to late May or early June, and that is mostly due to weather and also Johnson & Johnson uh, reporting that they will not be able to uh, manufacture the supply that had promised. Also, Moderna is having problems with a contractor. Andrea, back to you. Thank you, Lorraine. We just need to continue being careful out there. Thank you. Quest Diagnostics is joining forces with the CDC to find new COVID-19 variants. The company says it has been sequencing 2,000 tests weekly, which is twice the number of tests since its efforts began in January. CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky says the more sequencing that gets done, the more officials will know just how many variants are spreading across the nation. The CDC is also working with other commercial diagnostic labs across the country to help investigate even more tests samples. And new research shows severe cases of COVID-19 may be linked to eye damage. According to a study published in the journal Radiology, 7% of those tested had at least one irregularity at the back of their eyes. Researchers say that could lead to bleeding within the eyes or nerve fiber disruption. The findings are based on 129 French people who had severe cases of COVID-19 from March to May of last year. Now, those involved with the data say more research needs to be done, but suggest doctors may want to consider screening severe COVID-19 patients for ocular issues. More of you news after this short break. 
Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your News, your world, You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. Joining me now is Dr. Sujan Gogu. He's a family medicine physician in the Rio Grande Valley region in South Texas. Thank you so much for being with us today, Dr. Gogu. We know it's freezing cold over there. Nationwide, there's a drop in cases. What seems to be behind these numbers that we are seeing? Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Andrea. Um, well, you know, I think... Uh, a couple of things we're seeing is I think we're seeing people adhere more to the uh, the uh, the mask mandate, the social distancing, and the public health measures that have really we've been advocating um, for so long. Um, I also think that you know we also have seen that people haven't been traveling as much. The big spike we really had was really after Christmas and New Year's, where millions of people went and traveled and saw their loved ones. And subsequently after that, we saw a huge spike. And so seeing less uh, travel has really contributed to that. You know, I also think, you know, we've had a certain population that has, you know, contracted COVID. And so they've had some level of antibodies for some time that potentially could have uh, protected them for, for a little bit. I think we've seen about 5% of the population get the COVID vaccine. So maybe that's helped a little bit. But I think all in all, I think we've seen uh, more people just adhere to just basic public health measures. Now, what's your confidence level on whether the Pfizer and Moderna vaccine will protect against the new variants? Because we well know how viruses work. They tend to mutate over time. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that is a concern. But I think the thing that's really reassuring about these vaccines, whether it's Moderna, Pfizer, Novavax, Johnson & Johnson, AstraZeneca, is that you have to look at how many people have died from COVID when they've gotten this vaccine in the trials. It's been zero. How many people have been hospitalized for COVID when they've gotten these vaccines? It's been zero. You know, how many people have really died from this vaccine? It's really been zero. So I think it's reassuring to say that these vaccines are doing their job. Um, could you potentially contract, you know, a mild course of the illness? Absolutely. But I think what our end goal is, is that we want to prevent people from getting severe disease from this, and we want to prevent people from getting deaths from COVID. And these vaccines are doing their job. Science is doing their job. So, How are the winter storms and frigid temperatures your state is experiencing impact the vaccine rollout in South Texas? And how is it affecting in general in your area? I mean, what are you seeing so far as far as the vaccine rollout is concerned? Yeah, you know, for the last three days, my clinic has been canceled. You know, we haven't had power um, at my clinic, whether it's my primary care clinic or where I, I work as a sports and pain physician. So, you know, it's, it's going to be difficult to, to get this vaccine to roll out. We see in Houston with, with millions of people without power, and we see, you know, Judge Lena Hidalgo trying to get the vaccine and whoever she can get, get it in. Um, there because, you know, once, once the vaccine is, is out there, it needs to be distributed and, and, got, and, and, and be injected into arms. So it is going to be a severe challenge um, with what we're experiencing. 
In terms of demographics, we continue to see this. Data shows that white people are getting vaccinated at higher rates than people of color. What are some of the barriers preventing black and perhaps even Latinos from getting vaccinated? Yeah, I think a couple of things. You know, one, I think a lot of these vaccine uh, centers, I think they need to be put in places where we see minority groups live in. I think another thing is, is a lot, if you think about a lot of the sign-up sheets that are there for this vaccine, well, one, they're all in English. Two, you have to be very well equipped to be using an iPhone or a computer to just sign up and put all your data um, on there. So you could just get signed up. And a lot of these sign-up sheets are going by instantaneously. And so only the people that really know how to use technology are really getting access to this. And so um, I, I think that, that we need to have more pop-up clinics in these minority groups and um, need to be having more vaccinators um, administering it in those groups. And right now, we just have not had that. Slowly but surely. Thank you so much, Dr. Sujan Gogu, family medicine physician in South Texas. And please try to stay warm over there. Will do. Thank you so much, Andrea. Thank you. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.